Hey, fellowship. If you have a child or a student, we would love to invite them to worship with us with our fellowship kids ministry and our fellowship student ministry. Our goal of our family ministry is helping families own the spiritual development of the next generation. We want to come alongside you and help you as you are raising your child to know and follow Jesus. Our mission statement is helping families own the spiritual development of the next generation. We want to come alongside you and help resource you and partner with you as you're helping your child love and follow Jesus. Our services happen at 9 and 1030. And if you'd like more information, find us at the Kids and Student Ministries booth in the foyer. Good morning, Fellowship. Hey, I'm so glad you're here this morning. My name is Sarah Hill, and I am on our elementary team here at Fellowship. Hey, I get so excited about what is happening in our student ministries and our elementary ministries and also in our early childhood ministries, not only being someone who is on this team, but also someone who has been a fruit of these ministries. I get super, super excited. So if you are in this room and you have kids from early, early childhood all the way through 12th grade, we would love to see them in our ministries. Um, we actually have Promotion Sunday coming up on August 13th here in two Sundays um, where kids will promote to their next age group. So we're super excited and we hope to see you and your kids there. Hey, Simon. And I had the cool opportunity to be her student pastor he did. back in those days. I'm so sorry. Forgiven. Grace abounds in this place. Hey, the grace of Jesus is really good, right? And I Amen. seriously am very proud of her. Like, what she does is awesome. If you're new here and you have kids, I don't care if they're high school down to five years old, please find Sarah. She'd be a really good asset to your family. She can help you a lot. If you're new here and here's what's cool about Northwest Arkansas is that there's people moving here from all over the world. It's fun for me to work at a church in Northwest Arkansas because who knows who's going to show up at this church? We don't know your stories, and there are a lot of stories here, and we want to. We want to know you. We want to make the large church smaller and more personal, so will you please find Sarah or find me or go to the back? Just make yourself known. You with me? We've been changed by the good news of the gospel, and that's why we sit in these seats and we have a story. There's this really cool word that is played out. If you look at the King James Version, this is a word you don't think about. It's played 1,300 times in the Bible. The word is behold. Behold. It feels weird. I don't use that word. I don't think of that word. If I'm like driving with my kids and we see like a really good sunset, I'm probably not going to go to that word and just say, behold, look at that sunset. But if you break down the word behold, it actually means this. And I need simple. The word behold means don't miss this. What would it be like this morning to throw away every single distraction that you came in with and you are fully all the way, Holy Spirit leads you to be the most present you've ever been on a Sunday morning. Don't miss this. And then I started to think, behold the gospel. 
don't miss what the gospel has for you right now today, this morning. If you don't have a really good devotional, the one that I have in my hand is called New Morning Mercies. By Amen? Amen? New Morning Mercies, and it reminds you of this idea of don't miss the gospel every day in your life. And I just wanted to read one part that I think is gonna get us where we need to go. Did you know that grace radically alters your identity and your hope. Your identity is not in what you have achieved or in what the people around you think of what you have achieved. No. As a result of grace, your identity is rooted in the achievements of another. Your hope is not based on how well you are doing, but on what Jesus has done for you. Grace invites you to be real and honest. Grace allows you to live free of false hope and a fake identity. Once and for all, you get to rest in the honest and stable identity you have found in Jesus. And he has already done the work on your behalf and he'll do it again this morning. You don't have to be fake anymore. I'm guilty of daily waking up thinking I need to prove something to God and prove something to another human. Anybody with me? Behold, may we not miss what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us this morning. The gospel is great news. And I'm gonna pray over all of us. Come with me in this prayer that we just remove every distraction that's here will be removed and that we behold. Let's pray. God, I ask that you remove every single distraction that every single person walked in with this morning. Remove it from myself, remove it from Sarah, remove it from everyone in this room. Holy Spirit, help us to be the most present we've ever been. In your incredible name, your powerful name, amen. Stand and sing together, remember. Remember those walls we call sin and shame. They were like prisons that we could not escape. But he came and he died and he rose. Those walls are rubble now. Remember those giants we called death and grave They were like mountains that stood in our way But he came and he died and he rose Those giants are dead now Oh, we sing that this is our God This is who he is He loves us This is our God this is what he does, he saves us. He bore the cross, he beat the grave. Let heaven and earth proclaim, this is our the King Jesus. Remember, remember that fear that took our breath away. Faith so weak that we could bear. 
For so long, I missed so much of the good stuff about the gospel. Don't miss it this morning.
worship. You can be seated. Father, we are so grateful for what you've given us in and through Jesus. Lord, we've been freely given it. So, Lord, help us learn to freely give. So as we enter a time now even of giving, whether we're giving online or right here in this room this morning, help us. Um, help us give joyfully with a grateful heart as a response to all that you've given us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift a word and cry then from north to south and east to west we'll hear Christ be magnified The heart echoing his imminence, his name would burst from sea to sky, from rivers to those mountains. We'd hear Christ be Cause death is just a doorway 
Seminary School for 21 years, and I've served through my lifetime in various ministries with children. I've always loved kids. I've loved working with them. But I got to a point where God and I were kind of having this tug of war in being urged into serving in children's ministry, but me playing the, but God, I'll already do that. It's my job. I teach every day. I give all day, every day to my students. Can't I have the weekends off? And that went on, like I said, we've been at fellowship now for almost six years, and I've been a part of children's ministry for the last two. So for that first four years we were there, it was like God's voice was saying, okay, Della, I get needing a recess for a little while, but this is getting a little bit ridiculous. It was just kind of that tug of war battle back and forth of, but God, and he kept saying, but Della, if I blessed you with the ability to connect and be with kids and you love serving in your job, why would you not want to do that as a part of my body? Why would you not want to give back to kids there? And so as usually happens, he won the tug of war and Kim Mills, our K2 director, approached me about serving one Sunday when I was picking up Jax and I was like, okay, God, I get it. Uh, there's no way out here. And um, that started this journey of, of being a small group leader in K2 town and growing up and with my kids there. And I can't imagine not doing it. It's the highlight of my week. I look forward to it every Sunday. Serving has opened a whole new world for me because in a larger church, sometimes it's easy to just kind of come in and come out. Maybe you know who you're sitting beside, but that's sort of like your circle or your community group. But um, serving on Sunday morning, it's opened up so many other kids and families that I have direct connection with now. Not to mention just other kids and families you see like in passing. And it's just so exciting when you're in the lobby or when you're coming in and all of a sudden you hear Miss Ella and you look and here comes one of your little friends just like running up and hugging and then you get to introduce your family and kind of seeing the connections that are made. And that actually happened pretty quickly. I would say a month or two into really getting to know these amazing little people that I was hanging out with and, and having great conversations with. And then you start seeing the connections, not only within the body, but then in the community as well. You stand back as a small group leader and listen to a room full of kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade students worshiping God. And it is the most amazing thing. It makes the hair stand up on my arms just thinking about it. So serving has opened a really big door of connection for me and for my family. I look at the realization of when I am with these children every Sunday, what I'm sharing with them is what I want to make sure that I am living out. It's sort of that personal accountability to making sure that, hey, I'm in the right space. I'm doing what I need to do in my relationship with God to be able to allow that to overflow into their lives. I think the same is definitely true for my family. It's um, they see, they interact. My teenage son now is able to serve. That's one of the coolest things about fellowship to me is how they take teenagers and put them in leadership roles within all of the elementary ministries. So he has that ownership. And it's the same situation for him of, well, how are you living? How is your relationship with Christ? Because these third grade boys are looking up to you. Anyone sitting out in our congregation or listening today that even has that still small voice that I fought for so long, kind of stirring in your heart right now, take the jump. Go talk to someone at the um, children's ministry table. They are ready and waiting to get you plugged in.
Well, today we are going to close out our summer series called Rhythms. This is our final Sunday, and Della's story is the perfect introduction because the final rhythm, the final spiritual discipline, is the rhythm of service. Now, we've looked at nine different spiritual disciplines, and we've challenged you to consider um, incorporating these into your spiritual life. These are nine holy habits or nine sacred routines, and we wanted you to try to practice them regularly. So here we are, final Sunday. As you look back over the summer and you think through the rhythm series, which one of the rhythms impacted you the most? In which one of those services did the Lord pull on your heart the most? Was it the rhythm of prayer or fasting or maybe simplicity or the word or solitude? Or maybe it was last week when we talked about the rhythm of Sabbath. Well, today we're going to close out. The final one is going to be on service. And this is a, a fundamental rhythm of following Christ. Serving others is a pathway for developing a deeper spiritual life. To become like Christ, we serve like Christ. And when we take the focus off of ourselves and we begin to meet the needs of others, we're actually following the example of Christ. We are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says this about the Lord. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Humble service was the primary mode of operation for the Savior. He was a different kind of leader. And in order to rightly understand who he is, we've got to capture, we've got to comprehend the magnitude of this attribute of servanthood that he exhibited in his life. So let's begin with that thought. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We'll be looking at John chapter 13 today. And what we're going to find there is a, a powerful and a beautiful picture of the servanthood of Jesus. Let's begin in verse 3. John 13, verse three, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. We're talking about the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega. And he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. It was his last night with his men. Jesus at this point knew that Judas had betrayed him and that the cross awaited him. His earthly ministry was coming to an end. So while at a private dinner held for his disciples to observe the Passover, Jesus gave them an intentional teaching moment. He wanted to show them the, the full extent of his love for them. And he wanted to exemplify for them what it meant to be a servant leader. He wanted to challenge them to live a life of humble service to others. So he washed their feet. He selflessly gave of himself for their betterment. He assumed the role of a servant. He placed himself not at the top, but at the bottom of the organizational chart. It was a shocking role reversal a humble act that certainly made his followers feel overwhelmed by his care. One of his disciples, Peter, objected. 
He refused to let the Lord bow before him and perform this lowly act of servanthood, but the Lord insisted. You see, washing their feet, it flipped the script. It, it was upside down thinking. The one who should have been served was serving. And I'm certain that everyone who was in the room, that upper room at that table was processing what was happening. They were trying to comprehend what the Lord was doing for them. And Jesus wanted to capture the moment. Skip down to verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he says, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you get it? Do you understand what it means for the king to bow before you and wash your feet? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He said, do you get it? Do you see what is happening here? Don't miss the moment. I, the creator of the universe, the, the teacher, the master, the Lord, I have become your servant. It was a beautiful picture Majesty entering into meekness. The Lord taking on the role of a slave, the most powerful in the room, pouring himself out for his followers. The first became last. The king became the servant. And these were his last few hours on this earth. This was the picture he wanted to leave us with. He was setting an example. He was establishing a core value. And then he issued a challenge. Look at verse 14. He said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So after the example, Jesus set the expectation. Now that I've washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Do as I have done for you. This was not a call for literal foot washing, although some have taken that interpretation over church history, but was actually a metaphor. It was an example for humbly serving others. This was an assignment to serve. This is a command and it's a command not only for the disciples, those in the room, it was a command for the church, and that includes you, and that includes me. After all, none of us are greater than our master, and none of us is above the task of serving others. He set the example, and we are to follow it. If we want to be like Christ, then we are to serve, We're to participate in a regular discipline or rhythm of serving. It's a non-negotiable, essential expression of being a Jesus follower. I hope you've enjoyed your rhythm study guides, but let's pull a quote and warning, it's a blunt one. Just like it's hard to picture a Christ who didn't serve others, it's hard to imagine a Christ follower who does not serve others. So where are you serving? I just want to prepare you because that's where the sermon is headed today. There'll be an application question at the end. The expectation was set by the Lord. It was communicated to us through the scriptures. So the question will be, how are you serving the Lord? 
his church, his people, just giving you a heads up. Brace yourselves for impact because I'm coming with an ask at the end. Now, here's my job as the, as the teacher. How do I persuade you? How do I convince you that this practice of servanthood should be a rhythm in your life? How do I add to the expectation proper motivation? How do I urge you, exhort you to live this one out? And I came up with three sermons. But I'm only gonna give you one today. But I thought I might tell you what the other two were. Sermon option one. Sermon option one was the simple route to go. We serve in obedience to the calling of God. This is the most obvious option. You just come strong with guilt. You hit the obedience angle. We serve because the Lord told us to. Type A personalities. Can I get an amen? These people are probably already serving because they fear they won't go to heaven if they don't. It's a hard stop. Period. Serve. Boom. Go pick up the kids. Go to, go to lunch. Done. Hey, that'll preach. And the scriptures back it up. One of my wife's favorite passages is 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to what? Serve others. It's hard to wiggle out of. I don't know what excuse gets you away from that verse. It's simple. It's clear. We're called to serve. And it's not if we will serve. It's who we will serve. And how we will serve. But I'm not going to preach that one, even though I kind of just did. <laughs> Sermon option number two. Sermon option number two. This is where we get you in the heart. We serve so that we can meet the needs of others. Will that preach? We serve to be a blessing to those in need. Just as Christ met our needs, we help others. We make a difference in this world because people are lonely and confused and hungry and sad and hurting and they need to feel the love of God. They need to hear the truth of God so we serve to meet the needs of others. Will that preach? Sure it will. We could use a passage like 1 John chapter 3. It says, if anyone has material possessions, and by the way, you could substitute a number of things there. If anyone has wisdom, if anybody has love, if anyone has mercy and sees a brother or sister in needs but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and truth. Amen? Now, whether it's a physical need, a spiritual need, a, a relational need, an emotional need, we take what we've been given and we go and meet those needs. Now, you can really pull on the heartstrings with this one. This is where you play the Sarah McLaughlin song. You put up pictures of children and puppies. That's good, that's good, that's good. I'm not going to preach that, although I kind of just did. I've actually decided to go with sermon option Number three today. And it might catch you off guard a little bit. It's a different way of being motivated to serve. Some of you might find it shocking. Some of you might be so caught off guard, you might feel a little faint or lightheaded, but you have to catch your breath. 
Sermon option number three. Serving others is self-serving. What? Huh? Serving others is actually self-serving. Giving yourself away for the benefit of the Lord, his church, his people, can actually end up benefiting you. Giving yourself away can have a return on investments. Your blessing of others can end up being a blessing to you. Now, this isn't why we do it. See sermon options one and two. I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if you serve the children, you'll get health and wealth. But there is a hidden blessing that comes, a practical benefit that returns to those who choose to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and give their lives away. It's true. Serving others is self-serving. You can even say it in the most extreme form that serving others is selfish. Can I get a shocking, Now, that doesn't sound right. Is that in the Bible? Yeah, we just read it. Go back to John 13. Did you see the last line? Jesus said, now that you've heard these things, now that you know these things, you will be what? Blessed if you do them. I'm not saying that your bank account's gonna rise. I'm not saying that you're not headed to the hospital at some point in your life. But there is some sort of return some sort of benefit or blessing that comes back to us. Jesus said, if you do as I do, if you serve others, you will be blessed. He's referring to the servants. The giver, the servant, will not only benefit others, but they too will receive some sort of gain, some sort of benefit or betterment. Now, this is perplexing. While serving others is a selfless act designed to honor the Lord and meet the needs of people, See sermons one and two. It also has this potential to yield a return in our own lives. So I think we need to unpack that a little bit. How can giving to others actually bless the giver? How can serving be self-serving? So let's think about it. And in order to do so, I want you to think just in the context of serving at your local church. There's plenty of places to serve outside the church. We all do that very well, and I'm proud of you. There's plenty of places to serve in the world, but just let's wrap our heads around. What's the return? What's the blessing on serving in the local church? And I'll roll a few of them out to you. The first thing I thought of was that serving others can be a catalyst for your own spiritual growth. When you sign up to serve, when you sign up to lead others, you actually bring an outside tension into your life, an external motivator that will pull you towards greater spiritual maturity and consistency. For instance, let's say that you sign up to teach a class or to lead a small group of students or children or adults. I promise you at that point, your study time is gonna be at an all-time high, right? Because now you're on point, Now you're the person in charge of facilitating this discussion, guiding the content. You have pressure put upon you not to fail. And actually, your prayer life's gonna increase, right? And maybe your character will even 
increase because you've assumed the role of someone who is expected to live by example. So you sign up to be a small group leader or even an usher or a greeter or on the worship team or the prayer team and now you have this tension in your life pulling you to live up to the expectations of representing the Lord and his church well. One of the things we say around fellowship is leadership is not the assignment you give to the people when they get ready. How many of us feel ready to lead and serve? No, leadership is the assignment that gets you ready. When you sign up to be on point, an external pull pulls you there to get ready. Right now, I have a couple of external motivators in my life, in my calorie intake. I don't do great on dieting, but right now, I've got something pulling me to eat a little less, exercise a little more. Two weddings in the next 10 weeks. My daughter and my son, and those pictures are forever, people. (laughs) So you want to fit in your suit, you want to drop a chin or two. Have you ever noticed that if you're a runner, a biker, a swimmer, signing up for a race, it gives you an external motivator to pull you towards preparation? So blessing number one, back to you, is it can be a catalyst for your spiritual growth. Do you see how serving can be self-serving? A second one, let's keep going. It produces meaningful relationships. Choosing to serve places you on a team. When you sign up to serve, you're joining a group of others who are bonded together around a common purpose or a task. And as you partner together to accomplish the task, you build friendships. We all want to know and be known by others. We want to share in the highs and lows of life. And being on a team, locked arm in arm, gives us a context for caring and for celebrating and for sharing in life. One of the teams I'm on is the worship team here at Fellowship, and it's a big team. So it includes all of the teachers, but also all of the vocalists and all of the musicians and all of our tech team and our prayer team and our communion team and our baptism team and our hospitality teams. And and we're all here early and we're staying late and we're mingling together. And I was just thinking of what we've processed together this summer. We've cared for someone who lost a loved one to death. We've cared for someone who brought a new life into this world. We've prayed over two families who are going through intense crises right now. We've prayed over someone with a heart condition. Went to the ER a couple of weeks ago to pray for someone who fell at work. And it's that team locked arm in arm that's coming around those on the worship team to celebrate and mourn the highs and the the lows of life. If you wanna get connected with people at fellowship quickly or at your church, Put yourself on a team, share in a purpose or a task. And as you do that, love well and live life together. Serving can be self-serving. Are you seeing it? How about this one? Serving can increase your consistency of church participation. Another blessing of serving at the church is it actually brings an expectation that you would be present at church activities. In a day and age where the average attendance of our people is less than two times a month, having a responsibility or accountability to be here brings consistency. I overheard a conversation the other day where someone asked, are you going to church tomorrow? The answer was, yes, I have to serve at the foyer. I guess they were saying, I don't really have the option to sleep in or go to the lake or go to brunch. Someone is 
counting on me. And of course, we would believe that being consistent in the church body is a very good thing. I was talking to a parent of one of our junior high students, and uh, we have a couple of hundred high school and junior high students that serve in our children's ministry. By the way, did you hear what I just said? It's incredible. And the junior high parent said, my son won't miss on a Sunday because he's got some kids that are counting on him to be there for a small group. And by the way, the parent was almost saying it as though they were disappointed in him. <laughs> You're killing me. You're killing me. Serving increases our consistency. Do you see how it can actually end up being a blessing to your life? Let's keep going. It also can help you find meaning in life. Serving the Lord, serving the church, serving the Lord's people can be fulfilling. I think we're all asking a question deep down in our soul. Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? And when we take the focus off of ourselves and get out of our consumer mindset, we might actually discover a pathway to true contentment that's just on the other side of servanthood. So instead of focusing on accumulation, we focus on generosity. Instead of focusing on our own personal happiness through what we can get out of life, we find joy through giving our life away. It's what Jesus said, we lose our life to to find it. A, A last benefit of serving would be this, that it is a beautiful act of worship. When we serve, we actually turn our lives into a living sacrifice, a fragrant offering to the Lord. And just like Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, when we serve, we're making a humble offering of our time, of our energy, of our resources, of our talent for the benefit of the church and for the glory of God. There's just something truly special about worshiping the Lord through giving our lives away in service to others. Now, at this point, I've thoroughly convinced you to pursue deeper intimacy with the Lord through serving, right? Yes? So you're probably just asking, how do I know where to serve? That's a great question. And this graphic may help you Just think through what you might call your sweet spot of service. And it's the intersection of three factors. The first one would be your passion. Then secondly, your skill or gifting. And then third, an opportunity or a need. Think through those with me. What are you passionate about? Like, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you pound the table over? What gets your heart rate up? What do you get angry that no one's doing anything about this? Your passion could be a cause. Your your passion could be a people group. Your passion could be um, some sort of task that you're really excited about. What, What are you passionate about? Secondly, what are you good at? Every single person in the room's been given some sort of gift or talent or, or skill that can be used for the benefit of others. And what you're good at, someone across the room is not good at. This is something that you've had success at, that people have actually complimented you on. Your skill or gifting is actually something that you do with little effort and it doesn't drain you at the end of the day. Now, when you intersect your passion, a cause, a people, a task, 
with your skill set, and then you match it with an actual need or opportunity that's out there, then that's your sweet spot for serving. Now, let me say this. There's not always an opportunity that perfectly matches with your passion or perfectly matches with your skill (laughs) set. And there may be some needs or opportunities that you're not passionate about and not good at, but we just need to do to get the job done, right? But occasionally and hopefully, we find this intersection. And when you find that sweet spot, that's when you experience both joy and deep impact through your service. So so take just a moment and and look at this and see if you might think through some options of where you might serve with passion and skill to make a difference. Does anything come to mind? Are you ready for the close? Brace yourself for impact because I'm actually gonna ask you to serve In fact, I would say it's one of our expectations here at Fellowship Rogers, three three basic expectations, that we would worship together shoulder to shoulder each week, then that we would love one another face-to-face through small groups, and then thirdly, we would serve arm-in-arm for the glory of God. So back to the question, where are you serving? And we've got a lot of options. This is not an all-inclusive list. But we're a church of small groups, not just a church with small groups, so we need small group leaders. We have worship every Sunday, and it takes a whole lot of people to pull this off. We have a hospitality team and a security team that keeps us safe. We have an incredible special needs and disabilities ministry. We have great marriage ministries, great missions team. Right now, the Samaritan Community Center is about to open their brand new facility in just a few weeks, and it's less than a half a mile down the road on our property. We've got great ministry to men and women. And I wanna make signing up for you really easy today, and I could think of no easier way than balloons. And so when you leave today, there's gonna be some balloons on a table out there. And if you'd like to serve, just go out there and give us some information, maybe something you're passionate about, and we will follow up for you. If you don't like people, then you can just go online. (laughs) And maybe you need to be in a ministry, like security, where you can... Wrestle people to the ground or something. (laughs) But you can just scroll down and hit the servant fellowship. It's the same form that is out there. And I would love to have you serving. One, I just want you to be obedient to the Lord. Sermon one. Two, I would love for you to make a difference in the world. But three, because I'm jealous for what it would actually do in your life and helping you become more sanctified And that's why it's a spiritual rhythm because it helps foster spiritual growth and spiritual intimacy. So let's close there. Back to the rhythm study guide. If spiritual formation is the process of the Spirit of God transforming us into the likeness of the Son of God, then service has to be one of our essential practices. Are you in? Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, we want to be the church. And Lord, the church is people linked arm in arm, serving you for your glory. So I just pray that we would all step up and make a contribution and not just be consumers. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us what we're good at, what we're passionate about, and where we can make a difference in this place or in our community.
And Lord, I pray that through all of that service, you would make your name famous. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's sing about what we've learned.
We serve because he served us. He washed our feet and he said, now go and do what I've done for you. Amen. Hey, uh, if you would like to serve, if you'd like to get going, balloons online. And if you'd like prayer, the Stevens are here in the prayer room today. To your right, we'd love to pray for you for any need. Fellowship, we love you and we'll see you next week.